uh, Director of Research for Federation for American Immigration Reform and a former Assistant Chief Counsel for ICE. Uh, he's been there when immigration policy has been discussed in the past, and we continue to deal with this DACA issue that's really been a dis- major distraction uh, in Washington on so many different fronts, and we seem to be, as I say all the time, stuck on stuck and not able to move forward as it relates to this policy. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. So here we are again, uh, stuck in the courts. Uh, they filed the appeal. They tried to bypass the appellate court to go to the Supreme Court to try and get this resolved one way uh, or another prior to this March 5th deadline. That didn't happen, so we're back in the court. So where are we now? Um, well, I mean, we're kind of in the same place that we started, and that March 5th deadline is completely artificial. So there's nothing in law or in any kind of constitutional requirement uh, making Congress go forward by that date. So this is all kind of much ado about nothing. So what happened with the Supreme Court case has kind of been overblown by the, the open borders lobby who are claiming it as a victory. What happened in this case was that the district court made a completely off-the-walls decision. So the Trump administration decided to use a process where they asked for appeal directly to the Supreme Court. Now, it's very rare that the Supreme Court accepts a case that way. They've only done about a dozen in the last 110 years, and it's really only used when the district court messes up on a settled point of law, uh, which arguably they did in this case. But this case is still subject to the appeal in the circuit courts, and it could still get to the Supreme Court. So the thing that's unusual about the district court ruling is that they issued a nationwide, basically, TRO, correct? Correct, and this is something that's been happening with these immigration cases, and uh, I still am not sure how a district court whose decisions are only applicable in that district is able to issue a nationwide TRO in a case like this. Uh, You know, as a lawyer, I have the same problem. Uh, I, I, I think back to when I knew a lot of law when I was in law school or the day after I graduated from law school, and I just can't square that up to anything (laughs) that I ever learned about procedure or otherwise where this district court that only has persuasive authority and all the other courts across the country can issue a nationwide temporary restraining order? Well, typically in the past, nationwide temporary restraining orders would come if there was a national program that was being affected and cases were cropping up in a number of district courts across the country, and then there was a special process that was used. So this is something that is relatively new. Now, there may be some kind of bootstrap legal basis for it, but I haven't found any any adequate explanation for it at this point. So let's talk about what the practical reality is. The appellate court will not probably make a decision on on a number of these issues presented out of the district court till sometime over the summer. Um, the Supreme Court will go out of session and won't come back in session until the fall. So we're not going to resolve this probably till close to the end of 2018. That's correct. And uh, this particular case originated in the Ninth Circuit, which tends to be extremely liberal. They have the highest rate of appellate reversal in the country. Uh, it's usually in That's favor something of, to be proud of. 
Yeah, it, it, exactly, and it's usually in favor of some questionable cause. Um, so it will be interesting to see how this develops, but, but there is a delay going on. And meanwhile, a program that was illegal to begin with and that this president clearly has authority to do away with is actually getting this false air of legitimacy because the courts keep treating it as if, as if it was somehow something that was issued by the founding fathers and can't ever be reversed. Yeah, I mean, the confusing thing for most folks is that this was passed by uh, President Obama by an executive order. Um, so one would think if you can giveth, the same office can certainly taketh away. Uh, exactly. And then on top of it, there's an argument that it wasn't even um, – something that fell within Obama's purview to do by any kind of executive action. So in that case, if you're reversing illegal behavior, there's an argument that you're not breaking any laws unless you're doing something else illegal. And what President Trump has said is, I'm going to simply enforce the law as it's currently on the books. Well, the proponents for the DACA recipients, their strategy seems to be working, in my view, because the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, told reporters earlier this month that the March 5th de deadline was not as important as it was before, given the court rulings. However, he said, I think this place works better with deadlines, and we want to operate on deadlines. That That's a sad commentary. Uh, it is a sad commentary. It, it, it's basically our legislators saying we want to have a, 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 a an artificial time constraint as an excuse for doing the wrong thing when we know what the right thing is, but this time constraint gives us cover for not doing it correctly. Yeah, so we, we continue to do these Band-Aid approaches, kick the can down the road, not ever get the thing resolved, and and we uh, just repeatedly dupe the public in, into believing that we're actually doing something. Uh, correct, and, and this can, we started kicking it down the road in 1986 with the first amnesty, so that's what created this problem to begin with, and it continues to mystify me how we think if we start forgiving violations of immigration law and granting mass amnesty, we're not going to go down the slippery slope, and then it's going to be traffic tickets, and trespass violations, and minor misdemeanors, and then felonies. It, it, it's absolutely absurd, and it just leads to no good end. Well, you know, as I look across the country, uh, there's the idiocy continues to grow around this issue. We've got the Oakland mayor now warning illegals when ICE is coming to town. Um, you know, which, and, and feels like she has an ethical obligation to do that. And I, I'm curious whether that, that ethical obligation applies to her own police force when they decide to do raids, whether or not she should warn all of the criminals that, that they're getting ready to come out and do something as well. Well, I'm sure it doesn't. I mean, the Oakland mayor's actions are, are the perfect example of, of Stalinist logic in action. And, it, it, you know, if you told the same people... Uh, that you wanted to ignore federal laws that had to do with discrimination or fair housing, they'd have a fit. But when it's immigration law, they feel like they're entitled to just ignore it at will. I just don't understand the, 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 the rationale and the line of reasoning because it's those very communities that the criminal aliens live in that they're wreaking havoc on. And, and I'm not sure who she thinks she's actually protecting and 
isn't there a bilateral obligation to the other folks as well for a safe and secure community, uh, a safe place to live, work, and raise our family? Well, sure. This being the United States, we have a commitment, uh, you know, to protecting U.S. citizens, but also to protecting people that are here lawfully as visitors, whether short term or long term. But we also, as Americans, take it to heart to protect everybody in the community. So we don't want to see illegal aliens become the victim of, you know, rape, murder sex trafficking and all the other things that they frequently are the victims of. However, the fact that we don't want to see them victimized doesn't erase their violation of the immigration laws. They're two separate legal questions. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think we've kind of lost our our complete minds. And then when I look at the homeless issue that they're having in both Oakland and and San Francisco, where they're they're collecting hundreds and in some cases thousands of pounds of refuse off of the streets and off of the front door stoops of of private homes and everything else so that they don't deal with this. They have become a sanctuary city for for everything illegal. This is the the, the problem with this, the slippery slope that I was talking about before. If, If you ascribe to the philosophy that the left ascribes to that every ill that is encountered anywhere is the fault of society as a whole and has nothing to do with personal responsibility, then you remove all motivation for people to take care of themselves. And what they do is they stand there with their hand out waiting for the state to take care of them. And if we look at what happened in Florida, government regularly fails at these tasks. And I don't know that I want to be waiting around for the government to take care of me. And and that's what's going on. And we're also inviting millions of foreigners in to benefit from that attitude. It's just crazy. Matt, can you stay with us through the break for a few more minutes? Certainly. Absolutely. We've got to get to a break. We'll be right back. We have Matt O'Brien. We're back with Matt O'Brien, Federation for American Immigration Reform, and he's also a former assistant chief counsel for ICE. And, Matt, we'll go to the talk line, line one, talk to Don on North Shore. What say you, Don? Hi. Thank you for taking my call, gentlemen. Um, I've I got a quick question with a little background and why I'm not understanding what's going on here. Um, and originally, the Constitution doesn't give the Supreme Court the authority to determine what is and is not constitutional. It was derived out of the midnight appointments, which was a political deal, which I'm sure you all both are well aware of, where they attempted to stack the courts to use the courts to overturn the will of the people that had just elected a new party in power in both the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And Jefferson said that he couldn't find anywhere in the Constitution where he gave the courts any more authority than the other two branches to say what is and isn't constitutional. Jefferson, Lincoln, and Jackson all ignored Supreme Court decisions. We elected Donald Trump to to break up the problem, the, 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 the monotony, and I don't want to say the monotony, to break up the business as usual in Washington, D.C. Why shouldn't President Trump just ignore the district courts and continue to enforce the law? What repercussions could there be as, as long as Congress is controlled by the Republicans? Matt, it's a good question. Uh, it is a good question. I, I think what happened was President Trump ran as a, a, a law and order, rule of law candidate 
when he talked about draining the swamp, and he's dealing with a program that was unlawfully put into place by the Obama administration. So he deprives himself of some legitimacy to deal with this in future issues if he does the exact same thing that the Obama administration did and essentially ignores statute and ignores the Constitution. He also sets up a sort of revolving door where you may have every administration come in and attempt to put these types of illegal programs in, and then the next administration just reverses them so what what is what is the actual for the benefit of the listing audience what is the uh, binding authority of the or the legal authority of the executive order um well there isn't any binding legal authority and it actually wasn't done as an executive order it was a policy memorandum that came out of the department of homeland security signed by janet napolitano so, so then even less than in, than an eo uh, correct and um, you know, something that's done by an executive agency as a matter of policy can simply be reversed by the executive agency itself um, as long as it's operating within the bounds of law. If it, it imposes something as a matter of policy that didn't have any legal authority to do, there's no question that the executive in charge of that agency or upon order of the president can simply revoke the policy, and that's that. So this is really the uh, question of, of the practice of the agency and whether or not it's violative of the Constitution in any way, and that's kind of the threshold question that's being presented to the courts? Uh, yes, exactly, and you've had some sort of bizarre uh, decisions. This district court decision said that it was unjust to reverse the program without giving adequate warning because of the requirements of the Administrative Procedures Act. Of course, there's a legitimate, probably the correct legal argument, that if it was an illegal program, then it's not subject to the Administrative Procedures Act. The, the... <laughs> The bootstrapping and backward thinking here never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I don't, we got the cart before the horse in so many different areas. It, I don't know how anybody's making any rhyme or reason out of this. Well, if it wasn't so devastating to the constitutional order that we've built a successful country on, it would actually be amusing because some of these things, as you probably remember from law school, are, are, are actually hilarious from a legal argument standpoint. They just don't stand up to scrutiny. Yet, a lot of the people who are in favor of open borders are interested in the end, and they really don't care about the means. Well, I just heard a commercial while we were off air about the zombie apocalypse, and that actually kind of sounds refreshing at this point sometimes. <laughs> it does, because, you know, at least if the zombies come to eat your brains, you whack them and move on. Right. <laughs> Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insight, and I'm sure we'll have you back on to give us an update when this thing starts to hopefully shake itself out and there's a clearer picture that may or may not be revealed at some point. Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Matt O'Brien, he is the uh, Director of Research for the Federation for American Immigration Reform. He was also a former Assistant Chief Counsel for ICE. And, you know, Matt sat at the table and talking about these policy discussions in the White House before, and he kind of has a very uh, intuitive insight into these issues, and we really appreciate his time. But when we come back, I'm, I'm going to read the um, the letter from Libby Schaff, uh, the mayor of Oakland, and I really want to get what your thoughts are in reaction to what this lady's doing out there in actually providing warnings to illegals 
when she gets information and she has reason to believe that the federal enforcement authorities are coming to her town to enforce the federal laws and thereby giving them advance notice so they can flee, so they can not get arrested, so they can avoid federal law enforcement and number of people out there, and some of whom have family members that were killed and uh, injured by uh, illegal immigrants, are saying she should be charged with obstruction of justice. And we want to hear from you, 260-1870, or Texas at 87870. The Peretti Mazda opinion poll, do you think will ever resolve DACA? 83% of the respondents uh, say no. I'm going to get to the break. Uh, give us a call when we return, and we'll be uh, reading this letter from the office of Mayor Libby Schaff from Oakland. We'll be right back. 